right. Amen. Thank you for that reading, Alan. The Gospel of Mark is where we're going to be this morning. Mark chapter 1. Uh, but before I go any further, I forgot one announcement. You may have, maybe, the, maybe there was a slide that came up earlier on the screen, but um, I had a, a slide up on the screen earlier with my contact information, my email and phone number. And I wanted to give that to you. I'll, I'll put it up there for a couple of weeks. Um, but I want to make sure everybody knows how to contact me, because it is a pandemic. And uh, it's, yeah, maybe, uh, Kevin, if you could go all the way back to the beginning. I'm going to put a lot of work on Kevin here. Kevin, by the way, has been here. This is his second week here, and he's doing an extraordinary job helping us with our live stream and uh, getting things up on the screen for us. So thank you. Kevin's doing awesome work. Uh, and so, yeah, on the, there we go. So that's my email and my phone number. So you see it's Stephen at firstbaptistchurchsalem.com, which is just our, our website. And then that's my cell phone number. I'm a millennial, so you can text me. You can call me. You can find me on Instagram. Uh, whatever, whatever way you want to get in touch with me, you can. Uh, this is why we're here. We are here to shepherd you and to love you and to care for you. And so um, feel free to get in touch with us in any way we can. We know it's COVID times and it's kind of hard to know how to get together. Um, so just know that it's my desire to care for you in whatever way is best for you. And so if you get a, a random phone call from an 865 number that'll pop up as Tennessee on your phone, just know that it's Pastor Stephen calling you uh, just to check in on you and to pray for you. So uh, that's, that's my desire is to, is to be a, a shepherd of you. And that's, that's how you can get in touch with me. Um, but now, as we come into the time of uh, the Lord's Word this morning, uh, we're going to be beginning a new series this winter and spring on the Gospel of Mark. And so, Kevin, you can go back to where you were previously and jump all the way back there. We're going to be beginning a new series in the Gospel of Mark this morning that we're going to be going all the way through Easter. So from now until Easter Sunday, which is early April this year, we're going to be going through chapter by chapter the Gospel of Mark together. And I've entitled this series, The Story of the Savior. The Story of the Savior. And the reason I wanted to jump into this series particularly is there's something powerful about stories. About hearing one another's story. About hearing the, the ebbs and flows, the twists and the turns. Seeing the protagonists and the antagonists. The beginning and the end of a story. There's something that's gripping about that. And after 2020, we've, we've heard a lot of bad stories in 2020. And it's time for some good news. It's time for a good story. And so maybe that's my opening question for you is, what would be the best possible news for you to hear in 2021? Just think of something in your head of what would be the best possible news for you in the year 2020? What would make 20, 2021, excuse me, what would make 2021 great? What story would just take it from a, a bad 2020 to a great 2021 or just a, an average 2021 to a great 2021? What would, what would tip the scales for you? What would be great news for you? And what I'm going to convince you of this morning, it's not going to be me, it's going to be the scriptures and the Holy Spirit, I pray is that the best and only news, the best and only good news that can change your 2021 is the story of Jesus. Because he is the good news. He is the ultimate and pinnacle good news. And that's what we're going to be walking into for these next 
14 or 15 weeks together in the Gospel of Mark. We need a good story for 2021. And so uh, go back to the previous slide, Kevin. Sorry, I'm going to boss him around here from back here. He's giving me a thumbs up. Thank you. He's being gracious to me. You'll notice this picture here. I chose this one intentionally uh, just because I kind of stumbled upon it. Does anybody recognize the picture with the clouds and the, the wood floor? Kevin recognizes it. Anybody else recognize it? Maybe from your, maybe watching your grandkids or your kids' movies from 20 years ago. It's a movie I grew up with. Toy Story. Yeah. Toy Story. So there's like four or five Toy Stories now. But when I was thinking about the power of story, there's four, she said. There's four Toy Stories. When I was thinking about the power of story, Toy Story came to mind of an example of a story. And one of the things I began thinking about with Toy Story, there's these famous characters. You have Woody, the cowboy, and you have Buzz Lightyear, the space ranger. And as the story goes on, I'm a little confused. You know why? I can't figure out who the hero of the story is. I don't know if it's Woody or Buzz. There's kind of two characters, and they're kind of playing off each other, and they're both kind of the protagonist. And I can't figure out, even as all four seasons go on, they kind of are both the hero of the story. I can't figure out which one is the protagonist. Compare that with another one of my famous movies that I love, uh, that I watched on Christmas Eve again this year. It's a Wonderful Life. Do you guys know It's a Wonderful Life? Surely you know that one, yeah. Who's the protagonist of that story? George Bailey. Clearly, it's George Bailey. He's the protagonist of the story. The whole story just follows his life story from beginning to end. He is the clear protagonist of the story. So every good story has a protagonist, a hero, and just an unmistakable point that this is what the story is all about. Again, Toy Story, for as much as I love it, I don't really know if I could tell you like, what the big point of Toy Story is. But I could tell you what the big point of It's a Wonderful Life is, which is that no life is a waste. The whole story is about George coming to realize how valuable his life has been. Because he begins to see what his life looked like if he was not in the world. He saw how different things were. And then he has a new appreciation for life. No life is a waste. So George Bailey is the protagonist. The point is no life is a waste. That's a good story. In the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see an unmistakable hero and an unmistakable point today in these first 15 verses. What you see right away in the Gospel of Mark, and you're, you're going to see this in the next 14, 15 weeks, is one word is going to pop up over and 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 over. And you know what that one word is? Immediately. And immediately, Jesus went out to the wilderness. And immediately, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And immediately, Jesus went. All throughout the Gospel of Mark, I think I have it here, 36 times, the word immediately shows up. The Gospel of Mark is an urgent book that moves the story along quickly. And it starts right from the beginning today with the protagonist and the point. The protagonist is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the point is... The gospel has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. So this morning, the sermon title, so Kevin, you can go to the next slide now. The sermon title is Jesus the Good News. Because that's the protagonist and that's the point. Jesus, 
the good news, and they're intertwined together. It's a good story. You know, we're going to be walking this through for the next several weeks. So we're going to be doing a big picture overview, and we're going to be aiming to see what the big point of the Gospel of Mark is. So today, beginning with Mark's Gospel, we're going to help, we're going to help Mark, Mark's going to help us think through three big questions. Number one, what is the Gospel? Number two, what does the Gospel require of us? And number three, is the Gospel even relevant today anymore? Does it even matter? And I may be preaching to the choir with you all, but this is a message I want to flow through you all to your neighborhoods, to your city, to your workplaces, to your families, so that we can answer those three questions. What is the gospel? What does it require of us? And is it relevant? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So number one, what is the gospel? I'm going to begin first with what is a gospel? So we use the word gospel pretty frequently today. Um, but it was actually used even more so in the first century in the Roman Empire. If you were to use the word gospel, even before Jesus was born, people in the Roman Empire would have known what you were talking about. They would have known a gospel as being a piece of good news that was being proclaimed about the Roman emperor. That was the earliest use of the word gospel, or this Greek word, euangelion, which is where we get the word evangelical, or evangelism. That's what the word gospel means. It was a piece of good news about the Roman emperor, particularly seeing him as the savior God of the Roman Empire. And it was a statement about politics and power and supremacy. And you know how they often use the word gospel? To announce the birthday of the Roman emperor. Good news, it's the Roman emperor's birthday. Let's send him a happy birthday gift. It's a gospel story, it's his birthday. Or... Good news! Rome has won another battle, and they're going to be coming back into the city and proclaiming the gospel of the good news of the Roman victory over the invaders. That's what gospel meant to a first century person. And way back in March of this past year, you saw the word gospel, although it was being used as good news, you saw that being used very widespread across the internet. There was way back at the beginning of the pandemic, one of these uh, famous celebrity actors named John Krasinski did a series called Some Good News. And for several weeks, he would get on the internet, on YouTube, and he would just find the best stories from around the world and share them because people were kind of down and depressed and they needed some good news. So John Krasinski got on, a, he made a YouTube show called Some Good News. And he just shared really great news with the world. Everything from little kids' birthday parties to putting on a prom for high schoolers who didn't have a prom because it was canceled. Uh, he just did good, good news from around the world, and he made people feel happy. So we kind of know what good news and gospel is, but what does it mean from the Bible? What does it mean in the Gospel of Mark? So I'm going to give you just kind of a big bullet point overview of what the gospel is. And I'm going to kind of throw a bunch on you here. But this is going to lay a foundation for where we're going to go the next several weeks. So number one, I've already kind of alluded to this. The gospel is good news. That's what the word gospel means. It means good news. And this church and Christianity is good news. That's what we want to be about. Nothing else. Everything else flows from that. But we want this church to be a church that's known for having good news to share. Good news that can change lives. 
So right from chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is good news. And this is an important thing here. I want you to think about what good news is versus good advice. Good news versus good advice. I think we've all been given some good advice in life, or at least advice. Maybe it's not good advice. Maybe it's just someone giving us advice. You know, those statements, you should do something, fill in the blank, like save your money. That's good advice. Go to church. That's good advice. Don't do drugs. We've started teaching our kids because it snows a lot now. Stay away from snow that is not white, whether it's yellow or brown, or just stay away from that snow. Go to the white snow. That's good. That's all good advice, right? Now, what are some examples of news that you've been told? So that's advice. Let's think of news that you've been told. There's liberation in Europe. Europe is now free. Think about that in World War II. You're pregnant. That's news. You have, you've been diagnosed with fill-in-the-blank disease. That's news. Or you're now eligible to go get a vaccine for COVID. That's news. See the difference between advice and news? Unfortunately, as Christians, we get kind of confused with this sometimes, though, when it comes to the gospel. Sometimes we operate more as if the gospel is good advice. Like, hey, you really should believe this. And the gospel really is Jesus has come and the world is different because he's come. You can be saved from your sins. It's news. It's like reading a headline on a newspaper as opposed to a you should believe in Jesus. It's not advice. It's news. That's what the good news is. It's a read all about it. Remember those kids on the street corners back in the day that would hand out newspapers? Read all about it. That's what the gospel of Mark is. Read all about it. Jesus has come and he's brought with him the gospel. Good news. He is the good news. It's a proclamation. And it's not just news news. It's good news. God's plan from the very beginning of time, from Genesis 1, was he created a good world. And he created this and it was good. It was all very good. That was his plan. But humanity brought in sin and brokenness and rebellion and selfishness and all these ugly things that have now corrupted the goodness of God's creation. And so there's a permanent stain on each and every one of us that we can't get rid of ourselves. So just an example, my wife and I, we just moved to Salem, so we're in a new house. Um, But in the previous house we were in, we had white walls and a white ceiling, and everything was just very white. My my wife loves clean lines and a clean, clear uh, house. And so, but my wife is also Italian, and so we like to enjoy a bottle of wine every once in a while. So one day, uh, we had good friends that gave us a really nice bottle of wine, so we decided to open it because it was a special occasion. We got the cork, and unfortunately, the cork went down. It went down into the bottle of wine, which is never a good thing because it got stuck. It actually got about halfway down. So we're like, oh no, we can't get it all the way up now. Now we have to figure out how to just get it down so we can pour the glass of wine. So turned into this comedy act of trying to get the cork to go down into the bottle. And so we got like a knife and we started kind of pushing it down. And you can see where this story is going. We push it down so hard. The wine, once once the cork goes down, the wine just splatters and it goes up onto the ceiling. Our beautiful white ceiling now has red wine on the ceiling. Club soda, white paint, something. 
but we couldn't figure it out and uh, we still haven't figured it out. We still need to go back and clean it for the next person in our new home. So it's an example of a permanent stain. There's probably solutions. We just haven't gotten around to figuring it out yet. There's probably solutions to it. But that's what sin has done to our life. A permanent stain on a beautiful, white, pristine picture. And that's, that's the predicament that we're in. But the gospel is good news. It's good news of salvation, of rescue, of grace, of mercy and love. Undeserved but needed. Unattainable but gifted. Better than any best news you've ever heard. It's in a class of its own. Because no other good news can solve the problem of sin. The permanent stain each of us have on our hearts. The gospel is the solution. And so what is the good news? This is the second point. So if the gospel is good news, the gospel is a person. The gospel is a person. And the person is Jesus. The gospel is not an idea. It's not an abstraction. It's not some kind of well-crafted plan. It's not like communism or capitalism or socialism or democracy or anything. It's not like an idea. The gospel is a person. It's God in the flesh. It's the person of Jesus. Not even Christianity or Baptist or evangelical is the good news. Jesus himself is the good news. Christianity, Baptist, all those things come as a byproduct of the person of Jesus. The real good news is a person. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. And so Joshua, just like it is today, is a pretty common name. It was a common name in first century Israel as well. So there's nothing particularly special about that. He was born of a woman in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. He was fully human. But the name Christ, which is not his last name, it's a title, it means Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Anointed One, Jesus the One who is the Messiah, is a title coming from David's line who would appear in the last days. It was his perfect, righteous, holy one. That's what Christ clues us into. It's not his last name, it's a title. And he is the good news. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. All those things we celebrated at Christmas about the baby are the same of the actual grown Jesus that we're going to learn about in the Gospel of Mark. So Mark doesn't give us the birth story. Mark just cuts straight to the chase and goes straight to Jesus is the good news. And he's going to begin his ministry right from chapter 1. So the good news is a person. He's our brother. He's our friend. He's the one who can sympathize with us because he's just like us. Yet he's without sin. And that's why he can be our perfect Savior. Number three, the gospel is from God alone. So verse one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Or verse 11, it says, a voice came down from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. That's the voice of God. Or verse 14, Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God. The good news is not something that humanity has manufactured or made or invented. The good news is coming straight down from God himself, the one who created all things. Many have tried to climb their way to God or manufacture good news on their own, but they failed. Good news comes from God alone. The gospel tells us a different story. It's not about reaching a standard. That's what all the other religions of the world will teach you. Whether you're a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Mormon All the other worldviews of the world say, here is God's standard, here's where you are, here's the steps you need to climb to get to here. And do you know what the gospel is? 
The gospel is from God. And the gospel of Christianity, of Jesus Christ, is here's the standard. Here's where you are. I'm going to come down to you. And I'm going to rescue you. And I'm going to pull you up out of the pit. And I'm going to pull you up to myself. And everything that was mine now is yours. Why? Because God's heart, his default mode is grace. Undeserved merit, compassion, mercy, forgiveness. That's what God overflows with. That's what he loves to do, is to show grace and mercy to us. The gospel is God's plan from the beginning, from the depths of his heart. From God to humanity. A gift. Number four, the gospel is historic. It didn't just arise in the 21st century. It didn't show up in the first century and then disappear. It's historic. It's validated. It's real. It was prepared for and prophesied about. We're not going to talk a lot about John the Baptist today. There's a great section here that Alan read about John the Baptist preparing the way of the Lord as prophesied in the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet. We're going to get to John the Baptist later in the story of Mark. And that's kind of how we're going to go through Mark, is we're going to just hit some big points, and then maybe I'll give you guys some suggestions of things you can read in between, in the weeks in between, to fill in some of these gaps. But John the Baptist prepared the way of the Lord. He fulfilled the prophecy from Isaiah. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Isaiah 52, 7. Remember the Christmas announcement? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. This is a historic gospel, long awaited. O little town of Bethlehem, maybe you sang this in the Advent season. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. When Jesus the good news arrived, he was the historic announcement and fulfillment of the long-awaited good news. Once and for all, Jesus' life created a history that would never be the same. On the cross of Calvary, on Golgotha, which we'll get to at the end of the Gospel of Mark, right around Easter time, it was an actual, historical, verified event of human history. One that if you read the Roman history books or read Jewish history books, they'll say a Jewish man died on a cross. It's a verifiable history. Jesus lived the perfect life so that he could die for us. And when he did that, once and for all on the cross, he accomplished the good news that he came to do. The good news is that the life and fullness and the relationship with God has fully come to humanity once again because Jesus has paid our price. Again, Isaiah 53, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds, we are healed. Good news. Good news. Number five, the gospel is urgent. Verse 14, skip down to verse 14. I think it's on the screen here as well. You can go to the next slide, Kevin. On verse 14, it says this. The time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. 
This is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. So we're jumping right up to when he's 30 years old. And he begins his public ministry. And this is what he says. He says, the time is fulfilled. Carl Henry, a famous theologian and missionary, said this. The gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. And that's what Adoniram Judson thought 200 years ago, right? He's like, I want to take the good news to the Burmese people, to those golden shores across the world. I'm going to sail from Salem Harbor, and I'm going to go to this faraway place because I want the good news to get to them in time. Because it's not good news if they arrive late. The gospel is urgent, and it demands of each of us living our life in a timely way in a way that says, my life is going to change because the gospel is on time. Because Jesus came on time to us. Romans 5, it says, while we were still weak, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And in Galatians, it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Don't you see that? The fullness of time. When this baby Jesus showed up, And when this man, Jesus, starts preaching, he is the culmination of time. He's the culmination of history. He's the culmination of the story of humanity. He is the climax. And now we get to live in the afterglow of the climax of the story of Jesus. It's an amazing thought. And he came and he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus came, he didn't just bring good news of personal rescue, of taking an individual person and bringing him up into a glorified paradise. He brought a kingdom with him. He says, the kingdom has arrived, my friends. He says, Rome is here. The other empires are here. Eventually, many more empires will come and go. But my kingdom is a kingdom that will last forever. Going back to Isaiah again. Again, the Christmas story again. The government will be upon his shoulders, and of the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's what we're going to be seeing unfolding in the Gospel of Mark these next several weeks, is what does the kingdom of God actually do? We're going to be seeing some really cool examples of that in the coming weeks. We get to see that in our own life as well. The kingdom is advancing on the north shore of Massachusetts, and it's advancing on the, on the shores of Salem, Massachusetts. It's advancing through us, God's Holy Spirit pushing us forward to build his kingdom. We want to be a church that's for the kingdom, for his kingdom, and making his name known. The last point here about the gospel is that the gospel is a new beginning. It's a new beginning for all of us. So look, verse 1. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But what was said before that? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The gospel offers each of us a new beginning. That word beginning there in Greek just means the, it's archetype. This is the beginning of a new way. The gospel is not the end of life. When you pray the prayer that says, Jesus, I, I trust in you, I put my faith in you, I turn away from my sin, that's not the end of the story. That's actually just the beginning. That's the beginning of a transformed life. Second Corinthians says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. When we locate our personal life story and Jesus' life story, we find that our life takes on new meaning and purpose and hope. He is the protagonist, the hero of our story, not us. 
We thrive because Jesus has overcome. He is the hero of our story. His good news is the point of our story, and we benefit from him. We receive all that he offers us. The gospel is the announcement and the accomplishment of the new kingdom. So just quickly here, my last two points. These are much shorter. The second point here was, what does the gospel require of us? So if the gospel is all these things, if it's good news, if it's a person, it's from God alone, it's historic, it's urgent, it's a new beginning, what does it require of us? Jesus gives us the answer. It's just two simple things here. Verse 14, Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God, and he said what? Repent and believe in the good news. Repent just means to turn. This is, this is the basics of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Turn from your ways and turn to him. For Israel, this was a, a call to turn away from the social and political agendas which were driving Israel into a ruinous war, as one theologian says. And back to true loyalty to the God of Israel. And the call is the same for us today in 2021 in the modern world. The call to turn away from idols or from worshiping other things or from social or political agendas and to turn back to trust and belief in the one true God. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to turn, repent, and believe. Believe just means to trust, to have faith. Hebrews tells us that faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about things we do not see. We don't see Jesus today. Where is Jesus? He's not here. Where is your God? We have faith in him. And faith is the assurance of things hoped for and trusting in things we cannot see. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. One theologian talks about spiritual formation which is this idea of being formed by God, by his spirit in your innermost being. And he says, spiritual formation is moving from faith in Jesus to the faith of Jesus. So as we go through the Gospel of Mark, yes, we want to have faith in Jesus. I'm, having, I'm trusting him. But we want to learn to be more like him. We want to imitate what he's doing. So as we learn about Jesus in these coming weeks, Let's copy him. Let's emulate him. Let's practice to be more like him. Let's have the faith that Jesus had by his grace. Last point, and this is just a story. Is the gospel still relevant today? You're going to get a lot of questions like this in a city like this. The younger the people we talk to, the more the question like this will come up. And these three on the front can probably attest to that at college campuses around the world. Salem State, they'll ask this question. Downtown Salem, they'll ask this question. All right, good news. But is it still relevant today? Who cares? I don't really need this. What what does it mean to my life? There's not easy questions. There's not easy answers to that question. Let me tell a story just to kind of give an example of, I think, how how this can work out in our life. So it's the story of a man who was fishing one day. And every time he caught a big fish, he threw it back in the water. And every time he caught a small fish, he put it on his plate. And he did this over and over. He caught another big one back into the water, a tiny one onto his plate. 
Another big one, threw it back in the water. And then a little one, he put it on his plate. And finally, the guy next to him was noticing this. And he asked him, he said, what are you doing? Why are you throwing away all the big fish and keeping all the tiny ones? And the fisherman just chuckled. He said, he's like, the answer is really simple. My frying pan is only eight inches big. I can only have room for the little ones. The big ones are, are too big for my frying pan. Here's the point. The gospel is only relevant to our life if we create space in our life for the fullness and the enormity of what it offers us. So many of us in life and so many in our world are operating with a small eight-inch frying pan and just taking the little fish. I'll take a good career. I'll take a good marriage. I'll take a stable financial income. I'll take a college degree. I'll take... I don't know, not getting COVID, and I'll be happy. But Jesus is offering himself. He's offering a big news, good story. And we need to have a frying pan that is big enough for the big fish of the gospel. So is the gospel relevant? Of course it is. But we limit the good news that we want to hear. The gospel is relevant because it answers the biggest questions of life, and it always will. It's relevant for you, for Salem, and for the whole world. And we just simply need a big enough space in our life to receive it. And so our vision for First Baptist of Salem is that we would be a Christ-centered community, that we would be a gospel-proclaiming community, that we would be a community about building up our family in fullness and in love, that we would be dependent on prayer, that we would be kingdom-focused, that we would be for the flourishing of the cities in which we live, particularly Salem, where our church building is, and that our church would be for the glory of God, that we would be humble enough to be used to make a gospel impact and to give as many people as we can that giant frying pan so they can receive the big news, the good news of the gospel. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel of Mark. We thank you that the good news of Jesus is the only news that we really need to hear this year that is good enough to change us. Lord, give us confidence in who you are. And as we prepare to take communion in a few moments, would you fill us with hope and with joy of what you've done for us in Christ on the cross by shedding your blood and giving your body for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time we're going to stand and sing one more song before we take communion. This is hymn 206, There is a Redeemer, verses 1 and 2. Would you please stand if you're able?